I'm waiting for the sermon to load. Hold on. Don't you hate that? Isn't that just the worst? I know. You have to have patience, right? I mean, it's... For our 21st century, technically, you know, technologically minded, you know, high uh, effectiveness and efficiency kind of way of thinking, this is the worst. Loading, processing, preparing for update, whatever your computer says. And it's when you least have the least amount of time that your computer decides to do an update, right? We don't like that. And the worst is when, you know, you start to update something and it goes like really fast and you're like, oh, this is good. And then it gets about right there and it stops. Don't you hate that? And then it takes forever, you know, like 10, 15 seconds. I mean, who's got the time for that? We joke, but patience really is a struggle. We, we hate to wait. Our society values things that are, that are fast. Internet companies advertise faster and faster download speeds, right? Hospitals even advertise, you know, the lowest wait time in their ER. We like fast food and microwave meals. And this summer on Prime Day, I bought Julia an Instant Pot. Anybody have an Instant Pot? I mean, the idea is what took your crock pot two hours to cook. Your Instant Pot takes two minutes to cook. You know, it just does it super fast. It's instant. Theme parks make lots of money selling fast pass packages, don't they? Moms and dads have been at Disney World, you know what I'm talking about. And the fast pass helps you what? Skip lines so you don't have to wait. Get on Space Mountain even faster. So you can wish that you hadn't got on it at all, right? We can access information literally at the speed of light. We can cook entire meals in less time than it takes for your oven to heat up. And then there's Amazon Prime. Oh. You can shop on your phone, find what you want, tap the screen, and two days later, it just magically shows up at your door. That is, that is either incredibly lazy or brilliant, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. But either way, it's a no-brainer, because why go through the hassle of having to go to Walmart and find that perfect parking spot, you know? I mean, it's... Chase is always looking out for my parking spot for me out there at Walmart. Looking for that perfect parking spot, and then you have to go in, and you have to find, you know, they move stuff around all the time. You never know where you're wanting to find what you want to find. Then you got to buy it. Then you got to wait in that one checkout line that's open forever, you know, like five minutes. And, uh, and then you have to buy it, and you have to, you know, hand money over, and, you know, do all that kind of crazy stuff. Why go through all that when I can pull out my phone and just do that? And it's done. Oh, the wonders of Amazon and Netflix and Hulu. I was talking to Ag about this the other day. She couldn't conceptualize the idea. None of the kids today know the struggle of having to actually go to a store and walk in and look at rows and rows of movies, right? You remember that? And VHS, back in the VHS days, you'd have those empty cardboard sleeves and you'd have to look behind it to see if the movie was actually there. And it was the worst when you've been waiting for this movie to come out to rent. You go to the to movie gallery and you walk in and you see all these movies. You're like, oh, that's so awesome. And every one of them, there's nothing behind it. They're all checked out. But you've got to check out the movie. Then you go home. You watch it. And when you're done, you have to be kind and rewind. Kids today don't know what that means. Rewind. What, what does that even mean? 
And they have to take it back to the video store. How utterly barbaric. (laughs) We're a fast-paced culture, right? We value what is instant and expedient. We're always in a hurry. I just haven't figured out what it is we're in such a hurry for. You know? I haven't figured that out yet. What has all this speed and efficiency gained us? Because I still find myself telling people all the time, I'm busy. I'm busy. There's not enough hours in the day. Yet when I study history, when I talk to some of our senior adults, doesn't it seem like people back in the day had so much time? I mean, they went to bed when the sun went down. That's like, you know, five or six hours right there off their day. But they did get up when the sun comes up, you know, so there, there's that. But, I mean, they, they, they cooked meals from scratch, right? They went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They, they had time, though, to sit on their porch and talk to their neighbors, to read a newspaper every day, to read a book, to make stuff by hand. You know, they, they, they honed crafts and they had hobbies and they, 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 they took their time. They didn't have all of our conveniences. Now, I'm not saying their lives were easy by any stretch of imagination. We have it easy. But it sure does seem like their lives were less stressed and frazzled and hectic than ours ours are. So I wonder, what are we missing? Why are we in such a hurry all the time? Why are we not more patient? And I think there's really two roots to impatience. And the first root of impatience is our expectations. Our expectations. We walk through life with a certain level of expectation. A picture of our desired reality. And our expectations inform our decisions. And they shape how we want life to work, how we want our relationships to work. And today, what we expect are quick answers. Instant results. Immediate feedback. Patience flies in the face of our modern day psyche. We've grown accustomed to this unrealistic expectation. Really, it's an illusion that somehow we shouldn't have to wait for anything. You know what I mean? Waiting is like an insult. It's like an affront to my dignity to have to wait. That's, that's sort of this unrealistic expectation that we have today. But the second part of the root of impatience is reality. <laughs> there's expectation and then there's reality, right? And our expectations are often disconnected from our reality. How we hope things go and how they actually turn out are very seldom the same thing. And this head-on collision with reality is what often leads us in conflict. You know, maybe it's uh, that our spouse doesn't live up to our expectations. Or our kids don't live up to our expectations. Or your experience at work or at school or at church doesn't live up to your expectation and you feel disappointment. And that disappointment over time turns into frustration. And then eventually it leads to disillusionment. There's a gap that opens up and widens between our unrealistic expectations and reality. And and we could call this the patience gap. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. James writes, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient. And stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, the first problem, the reason why we lack patience is because we have unrealistic expectations. It's kind of like the unrealistic expectation I had yesterday. I was helping Julie out with some laundry. I had this unrealistic expectation that I could take a fitted sheet and fold it in any way that made any sense whatsoever. It doesn't happen, no matter how hard I try. Or the unrealistic expectation that you can go to Walmart and walk in there and walk back out with just the one thing you went in there for. How is it that never happens? You always end up with like 20 more things. So I don't know how this, how this happens. Parents, we struggle with unrealistic expectations. We have these parental expectations that somehow our kids are going to do what we say. That they're not going to complain. That somehow problems are never going to arise during the day. Right? And, and so when a problem arises, when, it, when a child is willful, we get angry. We get upset because that's not the way we wanted this to go. Unrealistic expectations. In marriages, we have unrealistic expectations. When I do premarital counseling, one of the things we talk about are marriage expectations. You know, the, the idea that somehow that once you're married, all your problems are just solved and go away. is <laughs> Matt, where are you, brother? My office is open tomorrow. You guys saw by. Yeah, marriage expectations, right? You know, we, we have these expectations. We expect our kids to learn something faster. We expect them to develop character qualities faster. Maybe your expectations of church are unrealistic. You know, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't know all the right answers. You know, we're, we're just imperfect people trying to follow the Lord, and, and sometimes we muddle through by the grace of God. What are your expectations of church? That's why the farmer here is such a great example. Look back at verse 7. It says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. The farmer knows what he can realistically expect from his crop. He knows how long it's going to take to get to the harvest. He has good expectations. When he plants corn, he can reasonably expect corn to grow. When, when the weather changes, maybe it's gotten too hot or too cold, it's too rainy, it's too dry, he can adjust his expectations. But we tend to have unrealistic expectations. Secondly, our reality doesn't, lead, uh, doesn't allow for margin. That's another reason we're so impatient. One of the things about all these doctoral papers I have to write is, is they're very picky about the margins. You know, you've got to have half inch there, half inch there, half inch there. But then on this, or it's an inch, and then on this side it's an inch and a half. And on the left side you have to have an inch and a half because it's going to have binding, right? Have you ever received a packet and, and somebody's hole punched it and it's gone right through the words? And you're like, I don't know what this says. This isn't helpful. And it's always like a critical word that you just really need to know that word or that number. There's a reason why we need margin. I was driving in the Smokies last weekend. I was very thankful for the margin between me and the cliff side right there. Very thankful for that little bit of a, of a, of a median there on the side of the road. And the same is true for our lives. Because without margin in our lives, when we're pressed just a little, we fall off the cliff. We crash into every obstacle. We leave no wiggle room. 
When we live at these breakneck speeds, we don't allow any room in our lives for any kind of interruption, for anything unexpected, even if it's something good, like a friend wanting to stop by to visit or an invitation to lunch. Even good things become stressors because we've not left any room in our lives for those unexpected blessings or opportunities to come. But the farmer, the farmer here understands the seasons. That there's a season for everything. There's a season for plowing and a season for harvesting. There's a season for planting and a season for waiting. And he allows margin in his life so that he can live and work according to the season of, uh, that he's in. It allows him to be patient, to work and to live within that moment. But when we live such a fast pace, we don't allow for that. We don't allow for the insufficiencies in other people's lives. Right? We get so impatient with other people because we don't allow enough margin in our lives for other people to be slow. For other people to not get it fast enough. For other people to to become obstacles and to get in our way. And so we fly off the handle. And we tend to excuse away our impatience by blaming our boss or blaming our spouse or blaming our children or blaming the traffic or the train. We do what James says not to do in verse 9. We grumble against each other. So what's the solution? How do we work against the grain of our society? How do we retrain ourselves to be more patient? Well, first we have to uproot the the impatience. We have to uproot these unrealistic expectations. We have to uproot this reality, this, this, this story that we've bought into. The life has to be fast and it has to be full. and We've got to fill it up to the brim with stuff and with activity and with busyness. We've got to uproot these things and replant the roots of patience. Hope and grace. You see, patience really is just the expression of hope. Patience is a reflection of grace. So let's look at hope first. So here in this passage in James, he uses two different Greek words to describe and illustrate patience. And the first word is hupomeno. Hupomeno means to stand your ground. It's the opposite of giving up hope or, or, or losing hope. This kind of patience stands firm in its belief of what should be, of what is going to happen. It's not like our unrealistic expectations. See, our unrealistic expectations for how much we can get done in a certain day, I'm real bad about that, how much work I can get done around the house on Saturday, that's based on arrogance. That's based on an arrogant view of myself, relying upon myself. No, this is a holy expectation that's based on God, on who He is on what He can do, on what He has promised in His Word. That's what hupomeno means. In Romans 8, 28, Paul said, And we know that in all things God works. In all things God works. And He works for the good of those who love Him. So we can have patience in the most trying times in our lives and we can have patience with the most trying people in our lives because we know that God is at work. We know that God is at work and He's at work for the good. When I'm waiting, God is working and He's creating something good, something of value. He's making the wait worthwhile. Look back at, at James chapter 5, verse 7 again. The farmer 
waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, just as we wait for the Lord to work for our good, to do something valuable in our lives. In our New Testament reading this morning in Romans 5, 3-4, Paul says, We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now that word, perseverance in the Greek, it's the same word James uses. It's hupomeno. It's the same word. Standing firm. That's what perseverance is. In James chapter 5, verse 8, he says, You too be patient and stand firm. Hupomeno. Because the Lord's coming is near. In verse 11, as we know, as you know, we consider blessed those who have hupomenoed, persevered. And he talks about Job's perseverance. When we're enduring difficulties, we can know that God is at work producing in us hupomeno, a patience that stands firm, that sticks with something. It gives us hope. Because we know that God is up to something good. The cross is the perfect example of this. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before Him, before Christ, He endured the cross. Guess what that word endured is in the Greek? Hupomeno. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus stood His ground with unflinching resolve. He didn't give up. Even facing the cross because he knew that his father was at work through the cross. He knew that his father was at work doing something good and glorious. And we should have that same kind of hupomeno patience. Standing firm because we know that God is at work and it's for our good. We know that God is at work. But we also know that God's timing is best. That's also part of hope. Knowing that God's timing is best, I think one of the greatest frustrations we have in waiting is this unrealistic expectation of timing. You know, we just feel like things aren't moving fast enough. We are, things aren't getting, we're not getting results fast enough. Whether that's the checkout line at the store or the, the load time of that cat video that you really want to watch on YouTube. Or traffic moving through Gatlinburg on Labor Day weekend. I thought it was pretty ironic that here I was working on the Sermon on Patience and the traffic through Gatlinburg was a nightmare. Or seeing the, the, the results of your hard work and your investment takes patience. We have to trust that God's timing is best, that living by the rhythm of God's seasons will produce the most and best fruit in our lives. Pastor and author John Ortberg wrote this. He said, you can't move faster than the one you're following. Have you ever said you know, to your kid, I can't go any faster than the car in front of me? Or you're in line at Chick-fil-A in the drive-thru. You can't go any faster than the line in front of you, right? It's, it's out of your control. You can't go faster than the one you're following. And when we're following Jesus, we can only go as fast as the Lord in front of us. Because His timing is perfect. When we try to get ahead of God, bad things happen. We usually end up in a ditch. So don't get ahead of God. Wait on His timing. Uproot the impatience. Uproot the unrealistic expectations and replace it with hope. But secondly, we need to uproot the reality we bought into, this, this fast-paced, high-speed, stress-filled way of life, and we need to replace it with grace. With grace. The second Greek word James uses for patience is makrothumeo, which your Bible probably translates as long-suffering or forbearance, or patience. 
It means to bear with the shortcomings of others without retaliating, without getting resentful. It's the opposite of having a short fuse. It means having a long fuse. In Colossians 3, verses 12-14, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. This is, this is sort of like the fruit of the Spirit passage, but Paul's using a different analogy. Instead of comparing these Christ-like qualities to fruit, he's comparing it to clothes. So we take off our ill-fitting clothes, our worldly qualities, and we put on the clothes of Christ. And he lists them. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience, macrothumeo. Here Paul ends his list with that. And then he goes on to describe what patience looks like. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And again, the cross is our example. There's no better picture of God's long-suffering grace than what Christ endured on Calvary for you and for me. Jesus died for our sins. He, he suffered our punishment. He bore our grief and our shame so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be forgiven and receive life that is new and abundant and eternal. And we didn't do a thing to deserve it, did we? We didn't merit it at all. It was a gift. It was grace. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the cross that reminds us that grace is costly. And patience, patience is also costly. Because patience requires you to give up control. Right? You give up control. There's nothing you can do to speed things up. When you're in the waiting room of the doctor's office, there's nothing you can do. Just settle down and enjoy the wait. We have to give up control. We have to lay down our rights and expectations, just as Jesus laid down His life. Patience means that rather than rushing to judgment and jumping to conclusions and hurrying off to fix something right now, we wait. We seek to understand what's really going on. We get all the information. We look at all the angles. And we act wisely in God's timing. It means that we're willing to give someone a second, a third, a sixtieth chance we bear with them. We forgive them just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Patience is costly. And patience is hard work. Amen, moms and dads? you got teenagers or toddlers. Either one. It's about the same thing. And, um, sorry. You know how patience can be. It's hard. And moms and dads, you, you might feel like you're never going to learn patience. And the last thing I want you to do is to leave here feeling defeated. Feeling, well, I, you know, I, I've tried patience. I can't seem to have patience. I want you to remember this, that God's grace is sufficient for all our insufficiencies. Amen? And I want you to remember that patience is a fruit. And it's not a fruit of our efforts. It's not a fruit of your trying harder. It's a fruit of God's Spirit. So how can we work with God to cultivate more patience in our lives? Let me close with two practical suggestions. The first is slow down. Slow down. Intentionally try to slow your lives down so you can learn patience. It's a great exercise. So next time you're on I-20 heading to Atlanta or Augusta, intentionally drive in the slow lane. I dare you. 
find the longest line at Walmart and stand in that line, and then just before you get to the checkout, let the person behind you go in front of you. Not only will you bless them and make you think make them think you're weird, but uh, you can say that's right because I've got the love of Christ in my heart, so I'm a peculiar person. But you will learn patience. Cook a meal from scratch. Don't buy the box mix. Make it from scratch. And if you're really serious about learning patience, let your kids help. (laughs) Remember, patience grows in the same soil in which it's tried. So put yourselves in situations that are going to demand you to slow down, to wait, to bear with others, to reject the unrealistic expectations you've been conditioned and I've been conditioned to live under. The second suggestion is solitude. Solitude is a spiritual discipline that encourages us to spend time alone with God, to be still, to be quiet, and to wait on the Lord. Jesus did this. He he would get away to be alone with His Father, to rest and be refreshed and to get refocused. Solitude allows us to get away from the distractions of our hectic, busy lives, to slow down enough to receive what God wants to give you. To slow down enough to open your eyes to actually see God at work around you. To be quiet enough to actually hear what the voice of God is saying. To let God give you His perspective on your life, on your family, on your work. So that you can check your expectations against His Word and make sure that they're holy expectations and not unrealistic expectations. And that's when we can begin to replace those expectations with hope. And we can begin to face reality with God's grace. Thomas Merton wrote, It is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love others. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. It is pure affection, filled with reverence for the solitude of others. Solitude and silence teach me to love others for what they are, not just for what they say. And this quote reminds us how intertwined these virtues of love and patience and joy and peace and gentleness really are. And spiritual disciplines like solitude and slowing down and prayer and time in the Word of God can help us to cultivate these qualities in our lives. Because it's not about mustering up enough ability to be patient with others. It's about putting yourselves into position with Christ so that He can develop patience in you. Ruth Graham one day was driving down the interstate and, and she was in traffic. And at the end of the construction, she saw a sign. Ruth Bell Graham was the wife of Billy Graham. And she saw the sign that said, End of construction, thanks for your patience. And that so struck her that she made that the quote on her headstone. End of construction, thank you for your patience. God's still working on me. He's still working on you. We need to be patient with God, with ourselves, and with each other. But this all begins. The construction has to begin. And that happens when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? Have you confessed and turned from your sins and and cast yourself upon Him and said, God, 
in Christ, forgive me for my sins, for my selfishness, for my short-sightedness. I want You to come and live within me and make me into the person You would have me to be. Do you know Jesus? You have to know Jesus as the author of your faith before He can be the finisher of your faith. Have you come to faith in Christ? If not, I invite you in a moment to come this morning and let me help you begin that journey with Jesus. Maybe this morning God is calling you to unite with this church family. Now, like I said, we're not perfect, but we're on this journey together. God's still working on us. We're still under construction. But this is a place where iron sharpens iron. It's a place where we can help each other to cultivate virtues like patience. Maybe God is calling you to unite with our church. Maybe God has laid on your heart somebody that you've been impatient with. That you need to go and ask for forgiveness. And you need to pray and ask God to help you be patient with them. Whatever God has spoken to you, the altar is open. I'm going to be down front as you respond. Let's stand together and pray before we sing. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. Your patience with us. I pray that your spirit is moving and working in people's hearts today. That you are calling people to faith in you. You're calling people to unite with this church family. You're calling people to, to work on patience, to, to partner with you as your Spirit cultivates this quality in them. God, help us to slow down. Help us to seek that time alone with you. Help us, Father, to bear with those in our lives, to forgive them and be patient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.